welcome Pudding People to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding, Ken's Movie Reviews. This week, we will be doing a bit of a retro movie review on Kingsman The Secret Service, kind of as a lead-up, a preparation, if you will, for the new Kingsman movie coming out very shortly. But as always, we will attack this as we do the other movie reviews. We will start with a spoiler-free section where I tell you whether I think this is something you should have seen in the movie theater back in 2014, uh, whether it's something you should have waited for on a streaming service, possibly purchase on a Blu-ray, or whether you should possibly wait for it on TBS, TNT, the Superstation, maybe channels that don't exist anymore while you're doing something else and just having it on in the background. Uh, then we will go into the spoiler-heavy section where we talk about the cast, the director, the costuming and props, location, cinematography, and plot and writing. We will be giving numerical values to what I think each and, individual, each and every individual section should have. All of it will add up to a potential total of 100 points. Now, I don't think that's going to happen as I have yet to see something hit 100, though we've gotten kind of close a couple times. Uh, but let's see exactly where this one falls. Now, uh, like I said, Kingsman came out in 2014 uh, as just kind of a general idea of whether it was something I think you should have seen in the theater. Maybe not so much. Um, it, it's fun, uh, but it's one of those that if it were me often, uh, I probably would have waited to see it uh, until I you know, had it on HBO, Cinemax, uh, Netflix, whatever it was that happened to be having it at any given time. Now, that being said, I definitely think it's worth a watch. It has a lot of really neat things going on with it. it has some things that are kind of what I think are mistakes, but, you know, mostly forgivable because all in all, this is a really fun film to watch. But let's break this down just a little bit. So as we tend to do, I like to start with the director. Now, director can have up to 20 points. The director here is Matthew Vaughn, uh, who has done both of the existing Kingsman movies so far, both The Secret Service and The Golden Circle, and he will be doing the prequel that's coming out shortly. But he also was responsible for X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass. He's, he's got some good stuff under his belt, and that's just the directing stuff. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, production credits here and there, too. So he tends to be attached to project, uh, products, lots of products. He tends to be attached to projects that do fairly well. Uh, and, and are often the kind of thing that I will enjoy. Like X-Men First Class, while not the most perfect film, again, of all time, it was a really nice reintroduction of the story. Kick-Ass was just a lot of fun, so long as you like stylized violence and can, um, you know, can really be just lighthearted. For, I, I, it may not be the right word, but that's the kind of thing. It's It's not silly violence, but... It's almost violence to a laughable degree. So long as you can keep that in mind that it's not, you can't take it too seriously, then that is the perfect vein for this kind of a film. So having Matthew Vaughn continue uh, with uh, what he's doing with Kingsman, which was based on, I believe, an image comic book, if I remember correctly, uh, kind of a spy, uh, an homage to uh, James Bond, if you will. I think that was definitely the right choice to make. And because of his choices that he had with the particular subject matter and the way that it was being brought to light within the film, I think uh, he he acquitted himself very well, all in all. 
Uh, so if you're going to go with the director out of 20 points, i got to give him a 17. Now, I usually hop from there to um, to the, uh, the cast, but I think I'm going to go to the costuming first this time. Mix it up just a little bit. Uh, costuming and props can get up to a 10. Now, you... This is this is kind of a, a weird fine line. Uh, Kingsman isn't isn't set in a weird fantasy region. It's it's set modern day, or at least modern day ish, um, and most everything is pretty commonplace. So most of the costuming and everything is is meant to be pretty much blending in. But there are a couple of important aspects to the the film in terms of the costuming, the the suit that is worn is uh, an aspect of the character almost so it's important that the the suits that are worn look good and the suits in this film definitely look really good uh very stylish uh it, it definitely gives off the right uh, vibe uh, again that 007 kind of a vibe um it, it's 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 acquitted very well the stylish nature of samuel l jackson's outfits tend to again tend to allude to kind of the Bond villain without without going completely down that track. They're not so ridiculous as, as some of those. So they're, they're trying to skirt just the edge of, this, of that kind of a feeling without actually going all the way to 70s Bond kind of feel. Um, and as far as uh, the, the little bits of props, the ones that they bring in, the, the important pieces, uh, obviously the firearms are a little more prominent on this and, and they did very well there's uh you know just bits and pieces the little the little props that they use are are very well done uh well tailored and just nothing that kind of detracts from the eye uh or or makes just yanks you out of where you are in the film so i thought they did very well all in all seven out of ten on that and that kind of leads to the locations now the locations in any sort of a spy thriller especially something like this are super important uh so i you've got to have that feeling of um just being um, ex not eccentric. That's not the word I'm looking for. They have that too, but exotic is what I was really looking for. You've got to have the, if you're going to be centered on a British intelligent agency and they want that to come through, well, we have to have the very proper kind of scenery. You, there has to be a mansion or a castle or something like that that's got to be very kind of um, high class. And the way that they wanted to contrast that against the, the lower class living conditions of some of the other individuals, I think that that contrasted very well between the kind of the mansions and, and the low, low rent kind of apartment that the main character lives in. Um, done very well. The kind of um, far off base that you have to get to by flying, you know, the... the Again, kind of the normal James Bond homage. You know that that whole uh, that whole area was nice. There's there was a good um, a good number of different types of locations that had drastically different feels, and and that that really served the the movie quite well. Again, it gave you that that feeling of exoticness, that feeling that. When there's travel that's being done, it's really being all over the place kind of a thing. So it, it, it did particularly well with that. Um, so I, I've got to give that uh, an 8 out of 10 just because also the, the mansion's gorgeous. Um, cinematography. Let's, let's, let's jump into that one next. Cinematography. Uh, 
this is one of the areas where uh, Matthew Vaughn and the people that he works with really tend to shine. Um, I cannot say how much I, I really like um, the way that this particular film was done. The transition between scenes was really fluid. When you're going from one shot to another within the same scene, especially within the scenes that had combat, it's, it's quick, but it's not distracting. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of comic book movies, but uh, like the, the final battle scene in uh, the second of the Infinity War movies, um, it's, there was so much going on, and they were trying to pack so much in you're guaranteed to miss stuff. Even if you watched it multiple times, you're just going to miss stuff because you can't see everything. That's completely the opposite of, of the way that this particular film is approached. Uh, let's use the uh, church scene as an example. There is, um, there is a, a great deal of stylized violence and there's a lot of people fighting simultaneously. Now, one thing that helps is you're really only concerned with one character for the most part in the scene. But still, there's a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of camera movement, but it never detracts. And while you may be missing some stuff in the background, the way that the focus is drawn to a very specific point, but still giving you a close enough look at what else is happening is just is just done very well. And I never felt like I was being uh, jerked around or like it was just... Um, that like it was just uh, too much to be able to absorb at any given time. It, this particular scene in this film felt a lot like um, uh, Hit Girl's uh, first real fight scene or maybe the fight scene in the hallway with the uh, goons towards the end of the film. It's very, it almost makes you giggle at times and at the same time the way that's put together is actually kind of horrifying in, in its own way. So, I mean, very well done. Um, the there's a lot. Uh, there's not a lot done with with color tone that I saw in this. So I mean, it's, it's pretty limited on that. And while there is some CGI, it's not too heavy and isn't terrible. It's I mean, it's just really solid all the way around. I have to have to be very impressed by the way they did that. We'll give that a a 17 out of 20. Now we're going to take just a moment to remind everyone to contact us if you ever have any ideas about the particular movies that we're reviewing that are maybe a little different. Maybe you caught something that we didn't catch. We would love to get your opinions. You, of course, can see us on www.everybodylovespudding.com. We have a forum section. Uh, we also are going to be on most social media. We're on Instagram, and we are also on Facebook, at Pudding Guys. We're on the Twitter scape, uh, when, you know, on occasion. Uh, I guess I'm a little more on that than others, but uh, that, of course, is at Real Pudding Guys. We're even on Patreon at Pudding Guys. Now, Patreon's kind of a fun thing. You can support us for just $1 a month. That little bit of money helps us to find new people to talk to when we get these cool interviews that we can get to be able to travel around and find new things to bring to you to be able to upgrade equipment like this fantastic new blue microphone and mounting bracket so that I can sound all warm and nice and, you know, beautiful. So uh, back on to it. Let's get to the Let's get to the casting. The casting in this is ridiculously good. Um, you got Colin Firth uh, as as uh, Galahad, one of the 
big uh, people in the film through most of the the project. He was, of course, in Bridget Jones' Diary and The King's Speech, among uh, a bunch of other stuff. And he's got just this ability to give intensity and reserve simultaneously, giving you that kind of emotional um, that depth, but it's like right beneath the surface. And he can kind of pull that off really well. And you, um, you kind of see that in the other stuff that he's played. And I think that's one of the reasons that they chose him for this particular role. Uh, he he did a great job with it. Uh, you got Mark Strong as Merlin. Mark Strong is awesome in pretty much any role that he is in. He was in the first uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes film that had, uh, uh, about said Neil Patrick Harris, People with three names, that always does that to me. But uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Sherlock, Holmes, uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, obviously is in Shazam. Um, and he's just fantastic in everything he does. you got uh, kind of a fun thing. Uh, you've got Jack Davenport in this for a bit. Not a ton, but a bit. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he played Norrington in the, in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. And... He is uh, he's in this briefly, but just a shining moment uh, there. Of course, Mark Hamill is in it. Uh, he had a part as a professor in the film. Uh, not a ton of screen time, but of course, he was, he was really good in the sections that he was in, as always. Samuel L. Jackson, um, just screen presence for days, and he can make pretty much anything work, and this movie is no exception to that. And in fact, I... I, I wish I had a chance to dig into this to know if this was something he wanted to do or whether it was in the original plot or whatever, but that lisp, it's, that's maybe one of the only things that I had trouble with. It's really difficult to get over. I guess every Bond villain or Bond villain type has to have one of those kind of idiosyncrasies, but a lisp is just kind of really, it's, it's hard to get past. I mean, maybe that was there on purpose. Uh, Michael Caine in it, amazing as always. I, I love that dude. He could read me uh, the, the stuff off the side of the breakfast cereal box and it would be Oscar worthy. Um, uh, Taron Egerton as the lead in this particular film. Um, and if you haven't hadn't seen him yet, he was in that uh, Rocket Man biopic not too long ago. Uh, he did a great job. This is one of his early big breaks that I saw, at least in major films. This wasn't his first you know, work by any stretch. He's got five or six more credits before this on IMDb, but this was his first really big film, at least to my eyes. Um, but one of the nice things about him as an actor, he has a really relatable demeanor. Um, it's, it's really easy to kind of uh, feel what he's feeling being his shoes, just kind of the the, the way he holds himself and the way he speaks. Um, combine that with some good writing, which I think this film definitely had, and you've got a really good um, really good main character. Uh, Corey Johnson had a little small part in that as the leader of the church. Um, if you didn't recognize him immediately, he actually had the, the role as one of the agents in Hellboy. He's been in a bunch of films, a bunch of projects. He's, he's one somebody that I always just kind of pick out whenever he's there because he's just kind of fun to to see i always enjoy it um but yeah i mean just a ridiculous uh cast uh especially for a film that you wouldn't expect to have this kind of a cast so i gotta give that a 17 out of 20 just fantastic and of course that brings us around to the plot and writing uh, now like i said this was based on a comic book and it's not intended to be taken too seriously 
because it's just kind of a, a light action flick with some some interesting style deviations from the norm. Um, that being said, uh, the plot is okay. It's not amazing. Um, it's the character development is there in several of the characters, which is a big thing for me. Uh, having the the characters grow and change through any sort of a project, a film or a television show, is super important. It's, it's really hard in a lot of films to do that. You may get one or two of them that have some major growth, but really there's there's more, almost uh, almost about seven that I saw some, some really good growth in their character, some changes, uh, possibly even more than that if I were to go back and, and, uh, and look again. But yeah, just, just some excellent character development. Um, the plot is a little hard. It's far-fetched. I mean, there's no two ways around it. It's unlikely. It's really ridiculous in a lot of ways. And I know what it's intended to do. It's intended to, to get the audience to think about the villain. Uh, is it possible to be right and do the wrong thing in the service of right? And is it actually wrong? It, it gets you kind of thinking about uh, morality in, in a couple of different ways. But it's just it's just a little, it's, it's lacking in a couple of senses. Um, so I, I guess maybe the two biggest things, it, it's one, I, I guess the, Here's, here's the best way I can put it. Really strong to start. Solid through the center. At the end, does not stick the landing. Maybe that's the best way I can put it because they build up really well. And for the most part, everything follows uh, very well. But there are two big things that I had a problem with in the film towards the end. Um, they're, they're trying to stock people that they think are going to be important because they're going to basically kill most of the people on the planet and start over with a smaller population. Okay, something that's been seen before. But, you know, one, sometimes the people that they are grabbing are not going uh, of their own free will. Uh, one is held in captivity, and Egerton's character finds her and is about to rescue her, and she says something about a specific sexual favor if she were to be rescued and things were to happen in a very specific way. It's so awkward. Um, it just, I mean, it's intended to be funny, and in a way it kind of is, but the delivery is a little flat, and if you don't nail that joke perfectly, it just comes off as kind of sexist and... Uh, demeaning in several respects it just it just comes off wrong and i could see how it could really turn certain people uh turn certain people off and and be taken poorly uh and i think it probably was by quite a few people even without that even if you're not the type of person that would be offended by that particular section it's just clunky and awkward it it doesn't work uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's an awful joke to end on. Um, combine that with the fact that if you even, if you think just a little bit about how the movie ends, the, the vast majority of the political landscape in the entire world, the leadership, a lot of them had gone along with the, the terrible plan that the bad guy comes up with. And so they're all going to go along and they're going to survive 
and everybody else is going to die, except it's turned around and all of them die instead. So the, the political leadership is gone in a split second. That would create so much chaos, and they don't address it at all. I mean, it's just kind of, yeah, the world's going to be in turmoil. Bye. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's kind of stunning that it's just it's just kind of left there. I mean, a lot of action movies do that sort of a thing. You're going to have that huge battle where there's a good chunk of the city that's just destroyed in the process of the battle. And then they never really talk about the cleanup in the same movie. But oftentimes, it's not even addressed if there's a sequel later. They, they, don't even, they don't even touch on it. That's just real estate. You can actually kind of extrapolate what can happen with that. Oh, we got to get some construction companies. we got to sift through rubble, find the dead, rebuild the buildings, all that sort of stuff. The entire political leadership is gone for many nations. I mean, it's not shown in explicitly for everyone, but it's implied. Um, and so that's just, it, it's leaving too much un, unfinished in that. And that, that, that just threw me off at the end. So for me, that even though I would normally have probably put this in the 16 range on the plot and writing, those two things really drew back for me on that and probably puts it more of a 14. So if you add all of my values together, that puts it at an 80, which is pretty solid. That's B minus territory, um, you know, more than more than adequate. And it's entertaining enough in several places that I'm likely to watch at least some of it again. It's not one that I would want to watch over and over and over again, but you know, I, I might throw it on at some point and just, you know, especially some of the, the fight scenes are just really, really well done. Um, I just, I have to, I have to say for the most part, this is uh, a more than enjoyable movie. And as long as you don't get bogged down by those last two things, you probably liked it even more than I did. But like I said, tell us what you think. Give us uh, your opinions. We would love to know it. But until next time, Keep watching the movies, and I'll keep talking about them.